It's Profiler Resents. Adam Spiegelman. I'm here with Chris Gore at that Chris Gore on at Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. You are listening to Proudly Resents. Oh, reason. I, I can't even hear you. Uh, hi, this is Sammy Wazell. Uh, proudly Resents. The Cult Movie Podcast. The Adam Spiegelman Show. To all you proudly resent listeners out there, just remember, you can't sit on hospitality. Oh, right. So, do you see the rise of the Planet of the Apes? I was not. A, I, I'm not a big fan of that movie. I, I, I know love that. Everybody movie. loves it. But let me tell you, what do you think about the? Let's just talk about the effects, and we'll go back okay. to Logan's Run. The, this is the opposite of Logan's Run. Okay, yeah, opposite of Logan's Run. Now we have digital effects. Yeah, we have entire apes. We have like ten thousand apes all. CGI, that ape, uh, through the whole movie is CGI. Yeah. And yeah. he gets wet. You didn't believe that when he got wet? No, no, I, 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 my issue with Rise of the Planet of the Apes has nothing to do with the effects. I think the effects are spectacular. I think, um, I, I, I don't know if this is an Oscar-winning uh, motion capture performance by Andy Serkis, but um, if the Academy somehow decides like to create a, a special award for that at some point, maybe Andy Serkis will get that at the end of his career. Um, I'm not sure that that's a talent that's specific enough. Like you know, best foley. They don't have. Uh, there's great foley in a lot of movies. Yeah. Transformers three, great foley. But I don't know if that. Rec- you know. You so, know, who's also good is uh, the guy who played Silver Surfer. Oh, um, that, that was Doug. That was Doug Jones actually. Yeah, he did. Um, he was great. He was in Hellboy. He's one of those that's great. Yes. Oh God, he's in Hellboy. And Doug Jones has this weird. I mean, if you meet him in real life, he looks like Jack Skellington. He has this body that is wiry, and he is. Um, if I may put a shout out to Doug Doug Jones, just a tremendous talent. He and Andy Serkis, they're like specialized guys that I, I, I just wonder because the pool of talent, you just, you just keep giving that award if they created a motion capture. To, to those guys. It'd just, be, it'd just go to the same people. It's like ILM every year getting the, you know, getting the award for best special effects. Or it's like Pixar almost every year getting the award for the best animated feature. It's, it's, but Rise of the Planet of the Apes, my issue with Rise of the Planet of the Apes has nothing to do with the uh, digital effects, the motion capture. I think, I think that they're they're getting close. I mean, to me, I think when it was a little baby monkey, looked a little, a little fakeish. But I'll buy it. I, I will buy. I mean, also when you look back at the original Planet of the Apes, okay, you buy that those are monkeys. I mean, it's those cheesy guys makeup. Masks. Yeah, they're, they're not. The articulation is not really there in terms of an animal. But but you buy it. I mean, you buy into whatever the standard is. The the whoever the director, the visionary, the the producers, the the creative forces behind. They're creating their own set of rules, and you buy into those rules. And if they break their own rules, that's where films go off the rails. But but um, Logan's run because you, you're right in that theory. Yes, you see like the cheap special effects or the, t- right. the toy train. And you're like, they don't, who gives a shit? Yeah, exactly. You the just, you just buy into it. You just buy yeah. it. It doesn't matter to me. The, the, the reason I think Logan's Run works at the end of the day is because of the performances. The, the actors, and it really goes to show that, that the actors sell a special effect, not the special effect. I know George Lucas has said that for years, but it's not about the effect. It's the reaction of a human face to a, a digital effect. But Rise of the Planet of the Apes was amazing for that I think that you see that you know Andy Serkis as Caesar outacts James Franco, <laughs> you know an Oscar-nominated actor, which is amazing. But we're by the way, Andy Serkis as the monkey is hosting the Oscars next year. Oh my! See now that would be that, that, that's also a way that he could uh, outperform uh, James Franco. But but um, I, where Rise of the Planet of the Apes failed for me, and I think that this is a failing of many modern science fiction movies, is that it did not have a deeper theme or social or political commentary that made the movie relevant. Because I ask, 
I would ask every executive in Hollywood who is considering a reboot of a franchise, I would ask a very simple question, why? Why are you rebooting it? Why? What do you have to say about the world? The original Planet of the Apes movies, the original Planet of the Apes, was shocking. The, 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 the social and political commentary, and really the original one, is about white paranoia, about black power in the 60s. That's what the first Planet of the Apes is about. And each of them kind of addresses youth movement and a lot of what was happening in society and what's happening in our world. The problem is that the development process in Hollywood is seven years. So from the time like a person thinks of a movie to writing it to it's made and it's in theaters, that's seven years. And, and the way that pop culture and just has evolved with and politics and everything uh, the way we are a society um you can't speak to it's, it's difficult to speak to larger themes i think a, a movie that did it really well most recent movie was the dark knight rises but if you go back and look at the original planet of the apes movies those movies were basically exploitation movies after the first one was like a big budget movie and then after that it was like a horrible i mean uh you know i ended up seeing all of the planet of the apes movies at a drive-in my parents took me to a a marathon all five from dust till dawn all five Planet of the Apes movies, it was awesome. I loved it as a kid. But um, those movies always played like, it was always in downtown Detroit. It was always never at a theater that was close to me. It was always like these sort of like, they would play the black exploitation movies and then conquest the Planet of the Apes. It's like, yeah. And the way, if you look at the old ads for those Planet of the Apes movies, they were made to appeal to an exploitation audience. But if you, if you really look at the, I mean, there are shocking things where there's a, scene in which they've exited the vehicle in the original Planet of the Apes, Charlton Heston and his astronauts. One of the astronauts has died on the ship uh, because there was a crack in the little suspended animation tube. And they, they, they plant a flag, an American flag, against the, the sunlight. And Charlton Heston looks at the American flag and laughs. He laughs and, and mocking, like, that, that doesn't even exist anymore. That country doesn't exist. That piece of cloth is worthless. I mean, here it is, red-blooded American, you know, you know, right-wing Republican Charlton Heston laughing at the image of an American flag and mocking the guy for, for even, I mean, it, it, it attacks um, religion. It turns, you know, like there's this sort of Jesus ape, you know, the lawgiver. It's such a radical film in terms of what it says socially and politically, in Beneath the Planet of the Apes, they destroy the world with Orson Welles' voice. Then they bring the world back by going back in time, and it's, a lot of it's about animal cruelty. I mean, the Planet of the Apes movie said a lot thematically, and I feel this new one just wasn't, I feel like it needed to make a statement, like the way a film like Fight Club was about so many, um, spoke to what was happening at the time. And a film like, I think, The Dark Knight Rises, or excuse me, the dark, the dark Knight, not the Dark Knight Rises. That's coming, coming to a theater near you. Um, but the Dark Knight said so much about our society and just like how how uh, uh, you know terrorism has changed this world. I mean, the, the Joker was a terrorist. Right, and he was Osama fear. bin Laden, yeah. and the fear of that and how he just basically was there to fuck with them. Yeah, he didn't have any agenda. He was just there to fuck with them. And then and then given a choice at the end, these two boatloads, one criminal and one citizens, did not destroy each other. They made the correct moral choice. So oh. I, I think it's, it's, it's really, I mean, The Dark Knight, I think, is one of the few genre movies that has, has sort of spoken to the zeitgeist of what's happening in, 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 uh, in society today. Well, you mask a political feeling with, with, um, right. with, with monk, with apes or whatever. Yes, whatever. you just take, take here's the genre thing, and we're going to talk about something else. And I feel like Rise of the Planet of the Apes was a prison movie. It was a really cool prison movie about animal cruelty that didn't say anything that um, 
I didn't already agree with. It's like, yes, I don't think people should be cruel to animals. I try not to support that. I love to eat cows with cheese and a bun. Um, yeah. Ground up. I, you know, so I, 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 I you know, um, I, I feel it was lacking this subtext. It, it was lacking a subtext. Even though it was amazing, I felt like, why? And at the end of the day, so what? You, you made this a... I felt I was almost laughable at the end when he talks. I mean, I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not giving anyone anything away. I mean, the movie's been out for a while, so um, he talks at the end. It seemed a little kind of laughable. Well, he was talking like hip hop. He goes, "What up, dude?" Yeah, it's kind of weird. It, it, I, 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 I really to me, but to me, Conquest: The Planet of the Apes is, is amazing. I mean, that one where they talk about the beginning of the, you know, apes have actually become in people's homes. They become pets because um, dogs and cats are extinct because of a virus that was brought back by astronauts. I mean, it's it's amazing how good the writing was. I mean, Rod Serling worked on the original Planet of the Apes, which of course that iconic image of the Statue of Liberty that was Rod Serling came up with that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, TVs from TVs Twilight Zone. But we don't have and, the movies on unlike the Batman one. There, there is no backbone. There's no reason to have it besides making a better be, be, ape. Yeah, because it's, it's, too, there's, it's, it's, it's. I almost feel that studio executives are afraid of making a statement, and it's not like you have to send a message, but ask a question. Ask a question of the audience. If you were on a boat and you were handed the detonator to a bomb and could possibly live, would you do it? That's what that's what that movie is asking. I mean, it's it's uh, the Dark Knight is is asking uh, um, that question, and, and and it's 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 an unbelievable. Uh, I, I really hope that Chris Nolan can follow it up with the Dark Knight Rises. I, I'm hoping that'll be good. But Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and I guess I saw it like a week after it had come out, so I already heard how great it was. But the people I talked to, it's like, have you seen the recent Planet of the Apes movies? Which the effects may not it may not hold up to today's standards, but the music is so effective in that film. Jerry Goldsmith. So powerful. In the and, original ones. Oh, yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, what um, um, a smaller subtext, you know, there's like thematic subtext about religion and, and, um, and you know, worshiping countries' flags, you know, patriotism. But there's a whole BDSM subtext in, in, in the original Planet of the Apes that is so prevalent. Um, Charlton Heston is, he's not just captured, he's captured and strung up. He's got a leather collar on him. He's thrown in a cage. He's stripped naked to be judged by these apes. He's thrown in a cage again and forced to have sex with Nova, who's pretty smoking hot, actually. Yeah, yeah. And everything is like this. I, I'm, I swear that the director must have um, must have actually like read some Maki Desaad. I mean, there's sort of like that, like th that level of like our story of O. There's like these kinds of things. His, his, you know, his indoctrination into the April is to be treated like a like a sex slave, like like an animal. And it's you know, people aren't just tied up. They're tied up in contorted ways that one would only know from reading um, an S and M or bondage book. Um, in fact, back in the old days of when Film Threat was a print magazine, um, I hired a dominatrix to review Planet of the Apes and um, talk about the imagery and how it tied into real fetish culture. And, it does. And, and it does. It's like, <laughs> yes, this is... I, I want to hire an expert. Am I just noticing this because it's something that I see? Or, you know, it's like, it's like watching uh, the original Flash Gordon. I mean, everything is a double entendre. I mean, uh -huh. you know, you see it as a kid. Maybe you don't think about it so much, but you see Flash Gordon now and you go, oh, my gosh. And that movie, uh, Flash Gordon, was written by uh, Lorenzo Semple Jr., 
who wrote a lot of uh, the original Batman TV episodes. So that sort of corny sense of humor, um, you know, puns and double entendres is, is so prevalent. But Flash Gordon also is another film that to me is, like, is one of my all-time favorites that like... Um, Oh, it's just yeah. good. It's good. It's good. It's on good bad. Level. Yeah, it's good bad. It's good bad. It's sort of like how do you make so it's like cheesy? But I think what it is is, and and, and I guess maybe this we'll get into this proudly resents like um, uh, that the theme of the show because I, I I love these movies and at the same time if I introduce them to someone who's maybe uh, you know maybe they're a bit younger maybe they're a bit younger and haven't seen all these films and they see it now and they think that's just dumb. It's cheesy. Well, that's, and, you're not you're not the, seeing the whole film. Well, I think I think what it is is that the reason those films hold up for me is that is the the acting is the thing that I believe it because the actors tell me to believe it, and I think the reason that I think a lot of movie a lot of special effects extravaganzas or anything where you have to believe a premise, it's the actors make you make it real, not the effect. There are better effects in movies that fail where the acting is god awful, and I think the reason Logan's Run. Had the, on the level that it does succeed is the performances. You believe it. I mean, it's it's like I'm in this world. I don't care how ridiculous. And I mean, you you got to think that it's stupid standing around in a superhero costume or the outfits that you wear in Logan's Run or like any anyone any actor that does a genre thing. Like I, I but they believe it so much. The audience believes it. That's what comes across. It's something that you can't replicate with it with a program. And uh, um, let's take a break. This is Jake from the Nothing But Show. NothingButShow.com. I resent that. Yeah, you're listening to Proudly Resents. I resent that. <laughs> ProudlyResents.com. I resent that. Everybody's tweeting, faving, and deleting. Follow Friday, some of you know. And play Dream Tweet, the game show to go. It's the game show to go. Dream Tweet, everybody. It's the celebrity-based Twitter-themed game show that's coming your way where two Twitter titans go head-to-head in a battle of wits and wisdom. Tune in, subscribe on iTunes, and there'll be a new game every single week. And remember, if things get a little bit sassy, just try and keep in mind that I'm just being a bitch. That's my catchphrase, and I'll be using it, and we'll be having laughs and it's going to be a lot of fun. It's Dream Tweet, the game show to go. Dream Tweet. And we're back. So <laughs> one spot for a break. Look, I work for a network that, like, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all hot female co-hosts. I mean, I'm lucky to still be on Attack of the Show, but I know as soon as there's a hot chick that can talk film, uh, well, you know what? There probably is. Is that why you're getting fake breasts? Yes, exactly. I mean, they're all, it's like, and, and, I, and I, I'm guilty of it, too, because I'll be watching a show. It's like, I'd rather be having a hot chick tell me this. What about sports? Like, I'm weird... not a sports guy, but every sideline reporter is a hot woman. It's always now. a hot chick. But it's a weird thing, actually, because I, I, I love to pay attention to weird statistical things um, or, or sort of facts that uh, they throw out in the TV world. You know, one of them is like, well, you're not supposed to have facial hair. You know, and of course, Geraldo Rivera broke that uh, thing. You know, you can't, you're not have facial hair. Um, and I had facial hair when I started doing TV, and I was like, well, I'm just going to keep my facial hair. I don't care. Um, the, the other thing was, is that, uh, this is a weird thing that I've heard is that like um, men don't like to be, they like to get information from dudes. Like they like to hear someone like me tell them what DVDs to, right. you know, th- they'll let a woman read you the news, but they don't want a woman to tell them what to do. 
Whereas my role, no, I'm serious. My role on Attack of the Show is to tell you what to do. I say you should either see this movie or not see this movie or get this DVD or whatnot. So I'm giving advice. I'm telling you, um, you know, and then other, the, all the male roles on the show tell you a tech device. They give you advice. They tell you what to do. All the female roles are just giving information. That's and hilarious. it's a weird, um, it's a weird thing where uh, this is what I've heard anyways. I, I, I don't entirely believe this is true, but... Um, I love I love sort of basking in those statistics and going eh, it's just going to go away. Uh huh. Well, it, it, it's it's a reality until it becomes an exception. Like right, right. Until the exception comes and then it moves on to the next thing and then it goes away. Exactly. But, but until then, no one's going to change the rules. You know, until I mean, you're you keep referring to yourself as DYI, which is true. Once you someone else, if a woman does on her own and breaks the barrier, then all of a sudden everyone has to copy her. But someone else just has to do it. Right. No one's going to say, oh, I'm, I've changed my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, it, it's just a weird thing that I think um, a weird quote rule that I think TV executives get in their head that becomes a rule because they think of it in their head. When I worked at uh, News, I worked for Inside Edition American Journal back in the 90s. And if I got an expert like a talk, every news story had to have a talking head who would just and I'm sure you must have got hired for that. Just to say, oh, blah, blah. if I hired a British person, they would say, no, no, no. British people are only to talk about Princess Diana. And the royals. Otherwise, America tunes out once they hear a British person talk about anything else, films of the week or commercials or anything. So you only allowed to have British accents for the royals. No, but I, I love hearing those weird rules, and then they just, they just, you break them. But it's weird how much discussion goes to the most stupid types of decisions from colors. Like, I know, for example, I can't wear uh, white or light-colored clothes well, that's on my show, and I do... It's a, it's a tech... They say it's a technical thing, and sometimes... It is. Like, it looks I, terrible. Well, well right. it's got to change. Yeah, yeah, Actually, yeah. I take that back. We have digital TVs. It must be better now. It's, yeah, but, but when I, I started, they've it was loosened big, up yeah. on it, and, like, not, like, I can't... I have to bring multiple, because I, I, I bring my own clothes on the show. And, um, you know, I can't be wearing the same color shirt as someone else. I just feel like it's just so funny to me the amount of discussion and, and, and thought that goes into the most simple decisions, which is also, I guess, a part of, like, how you can tell something from, uh, you know, something that's professional to something that's maybe not so professional sheen. But I do like sort of a non-professional sheen. I like sort of an off-the-cuff. That's why I like podcasts. That's why, that's why I don't prepare at all for my segment on DV Tuesday. Uh, you no, don't I prepare. Have... No, I, I watch. I, I, I'm obsessive, actually. I have a DVD. I have a Blu-ray portable DVD player in my car to listen to commentary when I drive. And I have wireless speakers throughout my house, um, including the bathroom, so that when I put on a DVD and it's got, like, commentary, I can listen to it no matter where I walk. So, but like, when I'll get, like... That's a great idea to put commentary on podcasts. Oh, it's... it's well, it's great. Yeah. It's, I, I love, like, a good... And the thing is, is, what's great about it is a lot of people that do DVD commentary, they don't think, oh, nobody listens to these, so they're very off the cuff. Or drunk. Um, or drunk, or just, like, they say random stuff, and I, I, I'm addicted to DVD commentary. DVD commentary, to me, is sort of like a podcast, and, like, I have to be... I, I, you know, I, in... in a lot of what I do is, uh, it's, you know, um, I, I'm able to listen to stuff. So that's why I set up my place where it's like I can put in a podcast, walking in a room, and it's playing. Or, or same thing with a DVD commentary. I'm sort of addicted to it. It's like it's like talk radio, but talk radio is sort of worthless with the exception of Howard Stern. Um, right, but talk uh, radio is kind of you know political. The agenda, yeah, except yeah. for Howard Stern, right? They're all agenda. Yeah, um, Howard Stern, which is entertainment. You know, there is a uh, Logan's Run. 
They have a commentary track. Yes, yes. How yeah. is that? I, uh, it's a great commentary track. It's a lot of different people from the production. So um, it's diff- you know, different departments like costume designers. And I'm not sure, I'm trying to remember if it was recorded as a commentary track because a lot of things that are a commentary track, um, what they are is they're culled from interviews or even like video that was shot. And then they take the audio track and they just, someone will edit them. So it's they're kind of speaking to the, and a little Chiron will come on and say the wardrobe guy is talking now about the costume design as you're seeing stuff from the costume. Oh, so, it's, so it's 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 cut up audio that's that's very well edited to speak to what's happening on the screen. And um, that happens with uh, a lot of the commentaries for older movies are just are, are, are put together that way. And I'm pretty sure that the Logan's Run one is like that. It's not like they were watching the movie and like, hey, let's do the commentary. Right. Um, I do like one of my favorite commentaries was uh, The Hangover. Commentary for The Hangover, which they actually shot on video, so you can do picture-in-picture picture on a Blu-ray. And, you know, um, of course, uh, it's uh, the director, you know, it's uh, Bradley Cooper and, and Zach. Zach Galifianakis. And he, of course, famously hates, like, commentary and behind-the-scenes or any of that stuff. When, when people talk about the process, he hates it. Uh-huh. About 15 minutes into the commentary, um, he says... When are you guys going to shut up and watch the movie? I'm just trying to watch that. <laughs> uh, Zach Galifianakis is great. I hope that his, uh, his rocketing stardom doesn't ruin the, the essence of what makes him funny. He's great. I got a call from him one day before The Hangover came out and said, uh, we have mutual friends. You know, I know you've done uh, talk show, daytime talk shows and court shows. He said, this movie's coming out, and um, I'm going to become pretty recognizable, which I thought was which he was a hundred percent right, but I was like, "Screw you!" Yeah, for, uh, yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, right, yeah. Zach Galifianakis. And uh, he said, "I'm going to become pretty recognizable, so I think it would be awesome if I just showed up at different TV shows in the audience." Like, and I used to do court shows. He's like, "What if I showed up at Judge Judy and I was just <laughs> sitting in the audience, and you just see a guy with a beard, and oh. then a year later, this big movie comes out." <laughs> Okay, that's the genius of Zach Galifianakis. Yeah. Like, like, so did he end up doing it? No, I put him in touch with someone. I want to fucking call him out at the View. The View. Uh, the <laughs> audience department was like, uh, "No," because there's no guarantees he's gonna get on. And they were like, "No, go to the PR department." And they and the, the shows were. But just it's like not- you try to explain something that's a, oh. that's an obscure funny concept like that. I mean, I, I swear, like, I come up with ideas for TV shows all the time that are always, like, the just most bizarre, like, if you did this, this way it would be funny. I, I even developed, I developed actually uh, a show with Comedy Central um, uh, that was going to be a simulcast of the Oscars. You know how, like, they do, like, the, um, like, 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 they'll do well, the... explain what they used to do with the simulcast. Well, then what they used to do, like, a thing where, they, you know, they'd be like, here's the State of the Union, and they're, and they're doing a sort of commentary on the State of the Union with, like, Jon Stewart and whatnot. My whole thing was, is like, and this was actually before he was doing that stuff. This is, like, in the mid-90s. Um, in fact, they even ran ads for the show, and it was called Award This. And what we were going to do was... The, the, the whole idea was is that you would put the sh- this show, award this, in the picture-in-picture picture of your television. So you'd be watching the Oscars. This would come in picture-in-picture picture on your TV. During the actual award ceremony, you would see us doing, running silent commentary, doing jokes and holding up signs and stuff as the the the... Academy Awards is actually happening on your television. Oh, that's great. And then when it went to commercial break and when it went to any musical number, you would make the picture-in-picture of a Comedy Central fill up the full screen, and then we would have comedy bits. One of the bits was me like walking around Hollywood in a full tuxedo, holding an Oscar replica, hugging everyone, (laughs) homeless people, and just, yes, yes! 
Woo! Yeah! And holding my fake Oscar and just hugging everyone around and just following me as I walked up Hollywood Boulevard to then try to crash parties. So that was one of our running gags, along with other pre-shot stuff. This is before even, I think, the MTV Movie Awards. So it was going to be these sketches and whatnot, but they just did, they could not get over, will people understand to use their picture in picture? How many TVs have picture in picture? What's the installed base of that? And the whole thing was, but now with the internet, that's you something you could do that show because so many people, and it's actually proven out, people either watch TV on their computers or they'll watch their TV with a computer near them or even a handheld device yeah, yeah. in their I lap. I mean, I, mean I, I do a lot of like live tweeting on my Twitter account. Um, where I'll live tweet um, some dumb award show or something. So it's like, if you don't like to get a lot of tweets, don't look at me during that period of time because I'll just be tweeting constantly what's going on as a running commentary. And, and that's kind of like that. So, but a lot of other shows where it's like it had a weird concept that it's like, mm, just can't wrap my head around it. Um, and we even had to design like these whole like a presentation boards that showed them how it would physically work. Well, I think now it's it little because people are using it now. People, people actually are kind of doing that similar concept. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, just like with a, but with on the internet, the internet has kind of fulfilled that role. Yeah, yeah. That's become you that know, part. That's become the component. Is like our, our basically our mobile devices, our computers have become the picture-in-picture device that we access while we're watching TV because TV is such an inefficient medium in terms of getting information. It's it's too slow. Great, Chris. Thank you so much. Your Twitter is that Chris Gore. Yes. Is there a website? ChrisGore.com. Great, and we can watch you on Attack of the Show every Tuesday. Every Tuesday uh, for my segment DVD Tuesday, and I pop up too. They they send me traveling. And great. It's proudly resents proudlyresents.com. Twitter is at proudlyresents. There's a pattern here. Go to iTunes. Say something nice about the show. That's uh, how we move up in the rankings. And uh, that's it. Thanks. Thanks, man. It's been fun. Adam, thanks for having me. Adam, that, that, we're, we're out of time for this interview.